Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey guys, this week on the podcast, Damien Oliver, the greatest jockey of all time. Three-time Melbourne Cup winner. We speak about all of those. One in particular, his victory on Media Puzzle just days after the loss of his brother, Jason. One of the great Australian sporting stories of all time. And this chat with Damien was nothing short of absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Hope you do too. Tell your mates about it. Follow us on Backchat Studios on YouTube and uh, share these listeners around wherever you do your podcast action. Follow us and everything else involved with the podcast, backchatstudios.com.au. Enjoy. Now, uh, very rarely are we graced uh, with such uh, high-quality sporting talent in uh, the Backchat studio, but we are today, powered by Fleet Network. We are joined by the great man himself, Damien Oliver. How are you, mate? I'm well. Thanks for having us on, guys. Anytime. It is is a pleasure. I mean, yes, you've been a great jockey. Uh, We know that, but you're a big West Coast man as well, so that gives you extra credit, so I will (laughs) say that. the first question we ask every guest that sits in that chair right there, Damien, uh, is we know you've been a great jockey, right? You've you've ridden 3,168 winners. Uh, 129 of those have been in group ones. So you've been able to ride some horses. We know that. Decent. Right? Melbourne Cups, Caulfield Cups, Cox Plates. You may well have done it all. Not many people we can say you may well have done it all. You may well have done it all as a jockey. But we would like to know your greatest sporting achievement not on the racing track. And you've wow. been doing this for a bloody long time, mate. <laughs> so we can go as rogue as you like here. I myself, I'm an, I'm an under nine 80 metre hurdle champion. Uh, I could jump over some small wooden things back in the day. Dan Const here, cricket player Cricketer, from back in the day. Five for 16 in the grand final. We've had uh, poker players, darts players, high jumpers, javelin throwers. We've had pigeon trainers. Yep. We've had... I don't know how much more I can give you here, but I want to know your greatest sporting achievement, not on the racing track. And this is one I'm actually looking forward to because you've been riding horses for a long time. Okay, right. So I don't know if I can match any of those. 
Don't know, Carl. Like my sport, um, I was, uh, I reckon, under thirteen, Byford Roos, fairest and best. Really, um, right. My junior footy career was going all right till I stopped growing and everyone else kept growing. <laughs> Damn. So, understand. Yep. so when I was about 13, I thought I'd better look for another career. <laughs> Pretty early for a career choice, but turned out all right for me. Yeah. Um, That's bloody I've good. had a hole in one at golf, so oh, something. Well done. Where? Almost had a hole in one at Pebble Beach recently, actually, too. That would have been a great place to have one. Uh, tell us about the hole in one. Where was it? Uh, my hole in one was at Keysborough in Melbourne on the eighth hole, about yeah. 130 metres. Yeah. So Did you carry on? Pretty cool. Yeah, I did actually. Closed out the match and it was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Well, just celebrate harder winning Melbourne Cups or a hole in one. Oh, no, definitely Melbourne Cups. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you dropped the yeah. hole in one there. We've had some sporting people come in and say, like, there's been a couple of hole in ones recently where they've said, like, that's better than anything they've ever done, <laughs> in, even in their chosen profession. It's a big deal. Well done. <laughs> so, looking forward to this one. Dan and I are going to take you through a bit of your uh, sporting career, mate. Now, um, I want to go back all the way to the start. You're West Australian boy, grew up here in WA. What's life like growing up? So you're a footy player, you're a sporting kid growing up, sporting fan. Yeah, love my footy um, growing up. Footy, BMX and, and probably surfing. I started surfing when I was about 12 as well, so a little bit later surfing, but love, they're probably my three passions. And, and I grew up on sort of 10 acres around Byford as well. So um, yeah, so always horses were always around us, rode horses from a very young age, loved animals. Um, but yeah, footy. Surfing and, and BMX were probably my, my three sporting passions. The old man was a jockey. It's been in your family. It's is it is it something that does, does that get like and I don't want to use the word bred, but like bred into you. Is it a part of your family, the horse racing? Yeah, I think so. Being small and being around growing up around horses and my, as you said, my father, grandfather was a jockey, um, my brother as well. So yeah, it's always around you and always there in the background. Although, you know, it wasn't full on for me, you know, I was always Footy was probably more exciting for me growing up in BMX and surfing. I loved all those, but the, uh, the horses were always in the background. And and when my brother started having success a few years older than me, um, that's kind of what really grabbed my attention into it. Right. Were you the, the one guy at school that had horses or in that area were the other, the other guys? Mm, had... Yeah, there was probably a few, but not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you were just the, the, did they come over to like, you know, Friends come over to play with your PlayStation and stuff when you're a kid. Do they come over to play with the horses? Mm, not really. No, no. I'd sort of go, well, my friends and play footy or go ride our bikes or go for a surf. But um, I had, obviously, my brother and my stepbrother, we grew up to, we'd have pony races as kids and, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Can you remember the first time you jumped on a horse? Like, you like remember the feeling, one, was it, gee, I'm good at this or was it just <laughs> enjoyable? You never start out good as a, a horse rider. Right. It's something you've got to work at. Um I remember I wasn't allowed to have a saddle till I could um, get good riding bareback, and that just I think that was a good thing. Make made you really grip on and and learn how to ride, be part of the horse. Huh. And then when once I mastered that, then you get a saddle. Um, I started riding track work when I was about seven or eight. I actually recently saw a photo of me when I was, you know, maybe one or not even two on a horse. My my father holding me on it. So, you know, looks like looking at that, maybe I didn't have much choice. <laughs> <laughs> I get, like, I, you know, this is completely foreign to me. I've never ridden, I've never ridden a horse. Never ridden stop. a horse. No, I don't, don't think that's that common, is it? Uh, no, it's fun as. I'm not saying it's fun or not fun. I've just never ridden. You should ride a horse. We should. Your feet are probably touching the ground. You need a bigger horse. Yeah. I feel quite sorry for the horse, to be honest. <laughs> but it just, it for me, it's just a completely foreign land and world that, Bareback riding and and get so when you start saddling it and you move away as a sixteen year old so it's something that comes along quite quickly if you won the under thirteens best and fairest in footy and then as a sixteen year old you you're heading away to race horses that's a pretty quick transition 
Yeah, so I start. I left school at fifteen. Um, rode in Perth for about fifteen months, and then had good, pretty good success early. I think my first when I moved to Melbourne, I'd ridden sixty six winners, and twenty two in town. So good experience really quickly, and and started got going. But you know, didn't start off straight in town. Like I was going to places Leonora, Dongra, um, Collie, those all those sort of bush tracks. But they were they were good to cut your teeth and learn and. And without too much spotlight on you, but mm. you know it happened pretty quickly for me. Um, I suppose riding from a young age really helped, and coming from a, a racing background, um, that I started to pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, do you remember your first win? Yep, yep, at Bunbury, uh, a horse called Mister Gudbod. It was about seventy to one, and my, seventy I think, to one. Yeah, my brother got me the ride. He couldn't win on it, but I won on it. And, um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yep. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So how how to. This is what I had for a little later, but I think it's probably relevant there. These outsider horses that win, right? And I'm sure you've ridden some, given the amount of horses you've won with. How do these horses go from such large odds and no one giving them a chance to, to winning? How much is it jockey? How much is it horse? Uh, well, it's usually based on form. You know, I don't think that horse, obviously being 7-1, to one, wouldn't have had much form on it, but might have just liked going for a young kid that probably didn't know what he was doing at the time, you know. Uh, Sometimes a horse feels like they're taking control of the rider and, and, and some horses – thrive on that you know other times you need a, a horse that needs standing over by a jockey to get the best out of it kind of thing so it's not an exact science all the time can you remember the biggest outside you, you ever rode i think i wrote one on well i so saw i'm sure there's plenty but i did went on a hundred to one pop at flemington one time and really? and that was it was actually made news at the time because i don't usually ride horses at those odds you know but um <laughs> yeah it was um it was, it was an outsider yeah yeah that's crazy i mean no one gives you a chance that's what that tells me like no, no one backing it, no one do, – do the owners, do the trainers, are you getting on a, an outsider? It doesn't have to be that one. But when you're on favourites, is it a different conversation with your, when you're on ones that, you know, maybe don't have as much of a chance? Is it sort of – Yeah. Go for your I, life kind of thing? I, I suppose, you know, it's, you can't really compare it to your sport, but when you're on a favourite, there's more pressure and more expectation for you to succeed. And and sometimes when you're on an outsider, there's not the expectation or the pressure. So you can – you go out there a bit more relaxed and maybe just let it happen rather than – trying to make it happen yeah. sometimes. So, I mean, the horse has still got to have the ability or have the right run in the race to, to get the result. And, you know, the reason that they're, they're that odds because they're not fancied or they're a bit out of form. Um, but, yeah, it can happen sometimes if, you know, if the favourite got up every time, you know, it'd be a, it wouldn't be boring, but, you know, it, wouldn't, it just wouldn't work, you know. So, yeah. you know, there's, um, there's different circumstances all the time. How do you um, pick a horse? Like, do people come to you and say, we'd like you to ride a certain horse and then you decide whether or not you want to do that? Yeah, so I have a manager and he sort of chases the rides a bit for me, but we work together. Um, the stable, Certain stables I kind of train for in the mornings to build up the relationship and, and get used to the horses, that kind of way. And then there's other rides I'll just pick up on a weekly basis kind of thing. But, um, you know, it's kind of his job to work out the races I don't have rides in and then chase the best rides you can possibly get after that. But, you know, there's generally jockeys are working for stables and, and riding uh, the horses that they're training on. That would have changed a little bit across your journey. I mean, we're talking in the 80s still, mate. I don't think I'm born when you went over for your apprenticeship. <laughs> that that system and, and your quality as a jockey, like you would have – it's a hell of a journey, 30 years almost – when you're first getting on horses, you're probably just taking what you can get, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. At the start, and I was chasing my own rides. Managers probably didn't start to come into it, I would say, till mid to late 90s, something like that. And um, and then it's just developed from there because, I mean, obviously in Melbourne there's racing 
24-7, seven days a week and night times, sometimes during the, a lot during the summer now too. So you need someone to, to manage that for you so you can just focus on your riding. So when you moved from WA to Melbourne, 1988, you start your apprenticeship, one of the guys, Lee Friedman, uh, big name in, in horse racing. What's that like? Because you're, you're still under 18 when you, when you move over there. Yeah, so I my brother had been over to the Freedmans a few years earlier than me, but he kind of he was flying in Perth at the time, but just sort of struggled going to Melbourne and adapting and, and missed home a bit. Right. But he laid the platform for me to go a few years later, and the Freedmans had really grown as a stable. They were kind of they weren't as big as obviously what they became, but they were probably you know that fifth to ten sort of trainer in Melbourne, and we just grew at the same time. They gave me great opportunity, um, and we just. We just really hit it off and got going, yeah. What's an apprenticeship look like for a jockey, is it? It's hard work. Yeah. Um, back in those days, you'd be working pretty much seven days a week, get every second Sunday off, um, and you're mucking out the stables. You're starting at 4 a.m. in the morning right. and then riding track work. You know, you work from probably 4 till 9 in the mornings and then back in the afternoons from sort of 2 to 4, um, and then you're racing most days. So, yeah, it's pretty full on. How much of it is riding then? Is it, or is it like a lot of maintenance of stables and stuff like that that you have to do? Yeah. So you go at four o'clock in the morning, you muck out a few stables, start riding, so say from five to seven thirty, eight o'clock, and then back to the stables and cleaning up and dressing the horses, um, grooming them. And then the afternoons you're feeding and watering the horses, mucking out their boxes and taking for a walk, that kind of way. Did it almost yeah. never get going your career then? That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Oh, it's. It's hard labour at the start, don't get me wrong, and you, you, you're doing all the shit work, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember my first wage, and I was apprenticed to my stepfather, I was getting 120 bucks a week, 80 bucks was taken out of board, and you'd just get 40 bucks. So, um, But you never, you'd just, you'd just be working, so you never really spent, you got all, everything was taken care of, your food and all that, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you're just out of school, so you're, you're not really, you're just learning to ride and get going, and, you know, obviously, you're looking to get, get going and be successful. You, you want to be successful. Otherwise you don't want to be doing that the rest of your life. Was, was your brother someone you really, was he a mentor to you in the jockey space? Like, um, as you're growing, growing up, trying to figure it out, it's not something you can just go and do. You'd have to watch people see someone. Is there someone that was a senior figure that you really modeled your game? Yeah, on? lots. I, I'd always watch the best in the room, the jockey's room and try and pick a little bit from each one, you know? Um, but then you've still got to feel comfortable on the horse yourself, mould your own style. But I'd be watching them tactically, um, how they rode them out, um, how they prepared, all that sort of things. Um, you know, obviously my brother was a big help. He was, you know, a lot of sibling rivalry as what brothers do. And, you know, he'd, he'd be hard on me. So, you know, probably made me the competitive person I am. And then, you know, obviously blokes like Rod Kemp was a, a legend in WA at the time. So I watched him a lot. You know, blokes like Stephen Miller, Mark Sestich, JJ Miller was probably at the end of his career, but you know, and even when I got to Melbourne, then I'd watch all the best over there, you know, and and from Sydney as well. So you, you're always constantly learning, trying to get better. You were just talking about the um the jockey room. What what's that like? Is it is it just like an open room where everyone's sort of waiting to get on the horse? Yeah, you all sit around, you know, a room, and you got your your gear there, and there's a lot of band, a lot of fun goes during the oh, day, yeah? and like taking the piss out of each other. Because <laughs> because uh, you're riding like multiple horses through a, through a race day, right? You're yeah. not just there to race one horse. Yep, you're so, there all afternoon, and you know, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of byplays that go on during the day, and and that, and it's strange, you know, because like in a footy in a club room or you know footy um change room you you're all together and you go and compete with one another for one another or here you're sort of you're, the, you're then there together but you go compete against one another you know so it, it's quite strange are there like 
uh, classic jockey pranks you guys would pull on each other <laughs> in like in the jockey rooms? Oh yeah, there's a good one. Like right, obviously in the showers late, and you can, um, you know, someone will stand up the end of the shower and get the pop, pour a bottle of Gatorade, and will come running down the shower that kind of way, you know. Classic. Uh, um, yeah, and uh, there's a couple of guys that um, oh, in well known in jockey ranks. Um, doesn't happen much here, but a bit more overseas, they'll actually make themselves sick to lose weight. It's called flipping, and um, you know, you'll see some guys that, that want to do it, and we just put boots in the toilets. So they go to flip and it looks like all the boots, all the toilets are taken and you, you see them running around. They don't know what to do. Yeah. Stressing. <laughs> yeah. That's very good. Does it, does it ever get, I'm assuming it does given what's at stake. I mean, there would be the lighthearted, you know, bit of banter competitiveness, but it would go to the top level, right? You guys are the highest level in your sport and you, you're racing for one, a lot of money involved in the industry, but your jobs are on the line. If you race well, don't race well. Does it get to? Uh, I don't want to say physical, but is it, is is the chat in there sometimes quite serious? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you see the odd blue, not that much, but um, but you're not only got to think of that. Also, it's it's dangerous. I mean, yeah. it's only only sport I know that a, an ambulance follows you around when you go to work. You know, so yeah. you can push the boundaries a bit, but you've got to be a little bit careful. And it's it's changed along from when I started to where it is now, how much safety awareness and, and that kind of thing is there. It, do you remember any big clashes in, in, in that, in that jockey room? Do you, is yeah, yeah. I've seen a few blues. Yeah, I have. You've yeah. been involved in anything? Um, not sure if I ever come to blues, but I've certainly had a few heated arguments. That's for sure. Yeah. What sort of things would they argue about? Like, Oh, I just if someone sort of cut someone off yeah, or, right. um, you know, worst result is someone could cause a fall, but obviously those guys generally aren't in there to, yep. to, um, to fight it out, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So it's like uh, road rage. Like usually you just in your own car and then they just drive, you get annoyed, but like you're in this room with people that are potentially driving dangerously next to you. Mm. Dan's mm. a bit of a road rager. That's why he's speaking. I just like to that. get on the horn. <laughs> There's no horns in <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's a yell. Yeah. 1991, you're on your first Melbourne cup. Do you remember that? Was that my first? 91, was it? I thought it might've been before that actually. Well, I, well, you you probably would know better than me. I know it did end didn't end well my first Melbourne Cup. Really, I fell off. Yeah, did you? Yeah, but I thought it was before that. I was no. thinking maybe eighty nine or ninety. No, you yeah. could be. Well, mate, you could be right. Have you got the horse's name? Um, uh, grooming. No, that was my first. Salas Opera was my first. Yeah. Right. So I and you I fell off one or two. Yeah. Well, actually, a jockey fell in front of me. Um, Richard Jolly is a jockey now trainer in Adelaide. Huh. Uh, it was a Perth Cup winner, Saratov. I remember it well and. He fell in front of me, was hanging on the side of it. I think I'm going to get around him. Next thing he let go of the reins and my horse tripped over him. So oh, I, bloody yeah, hell. Yeah, I fell. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Did you get hurt? Yeah. No, I was okay. I, I got up. Yeah. Well, actually, I remember talking to the ambulance guy and I said, oh, who won? They said, oh, terrific. And I, that was a Freedman horse and I was apprenticed to him. I said, oh, bullshit. I thought I was concussed, <laughs> you know, and then superimposed ran second. They quinelled it. So wow, really? they were all celebrating. I was, I was flat, as, flat as a pancake, oh, I can tell you. It doesn't take you too long to start tasting success. So, and uh, Group One winners, that sort of stuff. Does the Group One wins are they, you know, for people that aren't racing fans that just love their sport? Where, where does that stand? Sort of right in a Group One winner is that is that is that the pinnacle? Is, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's different types of Group Ones. Obviously, you got your Melbourne Cup, yeah. and you kind of got to stand a Group One. But winning a Group One is what every jockey wants to do because yes. you become that Group One winner. Then it starts to open doors up for you. you get better rides and people know that you can 
uh, deliver on the big occasion, so to speak. So yeah, it certainly gets you going. How much of that jockey skill do you do you learn on on the job? Like and comparing it to footy because it's all I've ever known. Training and you can train as hard as you like, you can prepare as hard as you like, but a lot of your you know good to great happens on the field in a match simulation, but more than likely in a match. Is, is that what it's like for jockeys and racing? Yeah, absolutely. And it's building experience. You, you know, generally good to start off out the country to build your experience and and also build your uh, connections, your relationships with trainers and owners. Um, and then obviously you start riding winners and you'll edge closer to town and with a bit more experience and a bit more success. And then it just grows from there. Mm. It's, it's just a, it's an interesting concept for mine because – I, f- I think that what you guys do and coming around a, a corner into the home straight, it'd be, di- it'd be difficult to replicate at training, that sort of in a big group of horses like that. Yeah, well, they have barrier, what they call barrier trials. So they're kind of like a, a training exercise where they get the horses fit, get them experienced, not for prize money, um, but it's usually on, on the training tracks or some of the race tracks. And they're usually, you know, at least once or twice a week. Um, so that's where a jockey – a young jockey starts off um, getting the experience. They've got to have a, a certain amount of those before they can get their license to ride in a race. Um, as a young jockey, was there moments that really eye-opening to you, whether it be good, bad, indifferent, learning things, you know, think something you could remember that you thought, wow, like I, I don't really know what I'm doing here or, that, or that's, a, that's a bit of a wake up? Oh, for sure. I mean, going from trials to race is big difference. I suppose a bit like you playing a – practice match to a mm. to a proper match you know it just goes up another level they ride a lot tighter um you know the tactics come into it more stop start in a race so you've got to have a lot more awareness about you and um and obviously it's higher stakes too so yeah it's a lot more competitive 1995 you won your first melbourne cup what's that like amazing yeah life-changing experience um i'd run second the year before um, so to win it the following year, it was, um, from a kid coming from Perth, you first dreamed to ride in the Melbourne cup after doing that for a little while, then, you know, you want to try and win one. So to win it was, was pretty amazing. So what, what, what's, what, what allows you to do that? Because you've ridden three and you've been riding for 30 years. So that tells me it's bloody hard to do. Mm, yeah. Um, look, I think it, one, it's a handicap. So the horses weights, uh, range from say 58 down to 50 kilos. And there's usually only a handful or so probably above 54 to 58. So the majority of horses have got the lighter weight. So you need to be able to ride pretty light. Um, I mean, you also need to be getting on the right horses because usually in a Melbourne Cup, I, I generally think there's around eight winning chances out of the 24. So that narrows it down again. And you've got to be riding for good stables that got good ho- horses in the race and, and then be lucky enough to get yourself in a position to get on one of those good chances. Get a, like a, a good ra- like a race that goes well because there's a lot of things yep. can go wrong yeah, as well, right? Yeah, absolutely, especially with that many runners, yeah. Why, so, why is Melbourne Cup so big, like prestigious? I think it's the history of the race, um, the prize money, obviously, um, the prestige of it. Um, you know, it's just – well, you guys don't follow racing, but you know how big the Melbourne Cup is. It's, it's a race yeah. that stops a nation. So yeah. it's probably the race that – not everyone in racing really stops and takes notice of, um, but there's a lot of other big races in racing that the racing um, fraternity are, are just as well aware of, but that's a race that everyone knows about. And what does the jockey get for winning the Melbourne Cup? Um, so you get 5% of the prize money automatically, okay, and if you've got a generous owner, he might give you a little bonus as well. Yeah, right. Do you yeah. get a medal? Do you get a – Yeah, you get, get a, a cup. You get a, a replica cup, um, which is about half size of the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. How old were you when, when you, it was um, – who did you ride on? Doremus, my yeah, first Doremus, one. Yeah, Doremus, right? How old were you? 23. 
It's pretty young. Mm. Yeah, nice yeah. long hair there. I watch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And them days have passed me by now. Say, mate. mate, don't we all worry. Had a bit of long hair one day. <laughs> I know, yeah. What's um? Can you tell us what it's like waiting in the the um the barriers at the start there? Like it's Melbourne Cup and the crowd is going crazy. Like, can you explain what that sort of feeling? Yeah, there's like? a big build up to it. It's not much. There's no other race quite like it really, because um, the weeks lead up to it are pretty big. Then the day itself, there's a hundred thousand there, and getting out on the track, there's there's plenty of um, enthusiastic punters there giving you lots of advice. Um, usually, um, you know, had plenty of um, influence yeah. underneath them as well. So, yeah, and then going down to the start, it's huge anticipation to it. And uh, But once the gates open, I always find – I'm always a little nervous before the race. You know, I don't – it's not a bad thing if you're not nervous and it doesn't, doesn't mean anything – doesn't mean enough to you, I don't reckon. But as long as they don't overcome you – and, you know, once you get into the race, then I find I get a bit more relaxed and then just sort of your instincts take over a bit more. When you get into the race, t- tell us what that feels like. What does that sound like? I always, as a, as someone who's been in the races, it sounds loud. As a jockey, is it loud or you focus, you zoned in? Yeah, it is quite loud with the noise of the, the thundering hooves, so to speak. Yeah, especially in a big field like that. Um, yeah. Do do. Do you boys talk while you're racing? Yeah, there's a bit of talk. Um, longer race or a bit more low-key race, you might have a more of a chat sort of thing, you know. But um, in a big race, not a lot of chat, more just asking for room or get out of my way or that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. What are you, what are you chatting about in casual races? I can't imagine, <laughs> like, just having a conversation on top of a horse. Yeah, yeah but I, like, okay, like footy, like I, I would stand next to my opponent and talk. And yeah, I suppose. Like same, same thing. Like Probably Calum. not in a grand final, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, like during the year, yeah, I like, suppose. You know, yeah. how's your spaghetti last night? It was pretty good. Yeah, well, if you're back in the field, you might, you know, be racing someone home for, for a slab or something like that so you can <laughs> right. finish a little bit closer, you know. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Get, can you remember specific moments throughout your career? Like you, it, it, it's been such a long one. Can you remember specific races? Can you remember – or is it just the big ones? Is there? Yeah, look, I obviously the big ones stand out. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you if you called out a race, uh, you know, you remember some more than others. Mm. Um, ask my wife; she says I've got a so- shocking memory, but that's a bit selective at times, <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, yeah, some more than others. But over thirty six years, you know, you kind of. I've got a good memory for usually um, useless information more so than useful information. <laughs> I find is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Did your West Coast Eagles fandom to take a little break from horse racing? Does that start as a kid and you just never got off? You you followed it through as you moved to Melbourne. You're a big West Coast guy growing up, and well, I've actually got a little bit of a oh no, um, oh no. S- story to tell here, and I- you could probably relate to this actually a little bit being a Geelong man yourself. I started out a West Coast supporter, moved to Melbourne, left I think it was '89, and. Um, Mark Bairstow is a distant cousin of mine. So um, he was the only person I knew, him and his wife Bev in um, Melbourne. And every second Sunday, Toby used to come and pick me up to go to his place because the only place I had to go. And he'd have me riding his horse track work. So I said, right, you bugger, I'm going to get you out kicking the footy. So that was kind of my my every second Sunday off. And um, so I actually followed Geelong there for a while and some, unfortunately through some of those Geelong West Coast premierships, you know, which, 92, which hurt a lot. Um, but then when Geelong gave Toby the arse, I think it was in about ni- about 95, I'm going to say, um, I came back to West Coast to my roots. So, um, yeah, so that was difficult time going to those um, grand finals in 92 and 94 torn. My brother used to just give me absolute grief. But I had some great times with Geelong 
following them with, you know, following Toby, you know, they get up by a point to get into those grand finals, but they usually buggered when they got into those grand finals. <laughs> and West Coast were so good in those 90s as well. You've effectively butchered it. You've got Haven't off, I? You've got no, but I've come back and I've had some good times in <laughs> 2006 and 2018. And I was going to say, lucky you come back, Yeah, mate. yeah, yeah. Because 89, 92, 94, 95, you saw four losing grand finals for I Geelong. know. Because oh, I know, because I was a Geelong fan. Yeah. At least brutal. I didn't play in them. That was, um, <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah right. Because you're the number one ticket holder for West Coast there it's through a period, weren't you? Yeah, just in Melbourne, yeah. So, um, you know. Trevor Nisbet's a good friend and always looked after us. I love going to the games and you were saying I get down to the rooms when I can and um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And we've got, we've got a good little cohort of West Coast supporters, Damien Lane and Mark Zara over there in Melbourne. So the jockey's room's pretty strong, West Coast uh, yeah. over there. I was doing a bit of a reading before and I don't know if it happened in 2006, but I think 2018, um, you would have had races on the Saturday, but you... I think you cleared the schedule. Is that right? I was there. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky enough to get invited to the president's function up um, in in the grouse room, and I remember Eddie McGuire just sitting just over there. It was so good watching the tears. <laughs> I was wasn't a good start at the first quarter, but when we got those last two goals, I was thinking, oh, I had a feeling we were sort of just getting back into it, you know. And it felt like Collingwood were just trying to save the game. We we're actually going to win it. Yeah. But it was a great game to be at. It was just amazing. How good yeah. you sat near Eddie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was filthy. <laughs> <laughs> Look how happy he is. You, um, um, I might you, love that. What do you get um, when you're the number one ticket holder? Like, do you get a special jacket or something? No, no. They just look after you. I go to, you know, I try to go any, they have the East Coast Eagles functions. Yeah. I try to go to some of those and, um, you know, go to the games when I can. Usually just Sunday games are the main games I can get to. Um, obviously, usually working on a Saturday, but I'll be able to go to a few more now. Mm. That's bloody good. Um, now, if we head back to your career, mate, 2002 is a is a massive year for you. You ride on your um, your second Melbourne Cup winner in media puzzle, but more significant, I think you lose your brother Jason in a, in a horse riding accident, and and that happened to your old man when you were three year old, uh, years old as well. Um, can you can you reflect on that year, how massive that would have been personally? Yeah, more so that week. It was a terrible feeling. Obviously, my brother had an accident a week before the Cup and, you know, I got a phone call um, from a friend where it happened, said it doesn't look good. So I got straight on a plane, come to Melbourne. He was in the hospital on life support for a couple of days and you know, it was just awful um, turn of events, you know, just mm. having to turn off your life support for your brother. Terrible thing to have to do. Um Have a break, mate. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bloody brutal, that stuff, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> and then I was just faced with a decision, you know, whether to, to ride that horse in the mm. car. Have a break, mate. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Always no, no. Emotional. You're good. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> look, I think if I can chat through it a little bit i think yep. that um that family member stuff when you're an athlete and, and a sports person <clears throat> the the personal nature of grief and losing someone especially your brother um it's very separated sometimes between personal and sport but then when you're so intertwined with it they become one as well and given yeah. your family's background with horse racing and and how hectically inv involved you are with with it all you feel like i don't know i don't know how you, how you 
did it, but did did it feel like um, it was something you you wanted to do for him? He would have wanted you to do for him that that race because it happened three or four days before. Yeah, it was about a week before. So I I flew back to Perth and then I was here for a few days and sort of back to Melbourne. I think it was on the Monday. Um, so yeah, I had Derby Day on the Saturday, and I was sort of at the peak of my career. So I was flying. I was about. Well, so it was 2002, so I was 30. Um, and, uh, you know, like obviously I had a lot of commitments. I didn't want to let people down, but then I was sort of worried about what people would think as well. Mm. Um, but the main thing that came back to us was that, um, you know, it was through him that I got the opportunities I did and um, great opportunities also. But um, I kind of – the main thing I spoke to my mum about it, if I was sitting at home watching that cup – on the couch, you know, he would have been saying, you bloody idiot, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, wanted to make sure I was, you know, mentally okay to do it. Probably still wasn't at my best, but, um, got through it. I rode Derby day. I had eight rides, probably, you know, half of my favorite. I think I run a couple of placings, had a shit day to be honest, <laughs> but you know, a couple were unlucky, a couple didn't, things didn't work out, but that can kind of happen. But I was questioning whether I made the right call. Um, but then just had to keep reminding myself that, you know, uh, that, you know, if I, if I just kept, kept solid to what, you know, the process that I, all my life that, you know, things, things would be okay. Uh, so then cup day comes around have about four or five rides for the cup, still going shit, hardly ridden a winner. Well, I hadn't ridden a winner at all, maybe a place or two, but that cup itself just worked out so good. Um, you know, I'm not a great believer of divine intervention, but if there is such a thing, um, you know, that race just couldn't have worked out any better and, you know, that horse was never going to lose. Mate, I, I could not uh, agree with it anymore. I, I watched a big part of that sort of researching it and preparing for this chat and um, people who listen to the podcast know sort of uh, I, I lost my brother not too long ago, Jason, and, and watching you on that um, on Media Puzzle, there there is no there is no doubt about it that, there was three of you on. Well, there was three involved in winning that race, right? The horse, beautiful thing. Yeah, you. But Jason, Jason's whipping that home as well, mate. Like <laughs> it just, it just, it was just running better than anything else, like by a long, long way. And like to have that moment, must be pretty bloody special, huh? Yeah. Look, <clears throat> at the time, uh, I didn't realise how how big it'd be, but um, turned out to be an amazing. Uh, tribute to him and mm. um yeah I was, I was sort of glad i was able to pull it off yeah, yeah. bloody oath, it's mate. also something that like really resonated with australia as a whole like it was such a um um inspiring thing it wasn't just like oh, a guy rode a horse and you know it was like such a like everyone knew about um the circumstance and what he had done and uh, like yeah it's such a special thing that everyone got to watch and and see unfold as well um what was the like the jockey Fraternity, like around that time, like on the race, were they looking after you or um, keeping you, letting you sort of keep to yourself a bit? Yeah, amazing actually. Um, I, I found um, sanctuary actually on the horse and on the track, mm. away from all the hype and stuff that was going on outside, um, which was you know great for me because um, when I got on the horse and inside the rail, it kind of 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Felt like, it felt, you know, it felt like Nirvana for me, to be honest. What you know? you're meant to be doing, Carlton. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. and and the jockeys were just amazing. Yeah, because you you build such this community and connection with these blokes as well. Like we talk about the, you know, fisty cuffs or shit talking and all that. But I mean, deep down inside, that when moments like that, you see the true colours of people as well. Yeah, and, and how much people love you in, in the end. Yeah. Um, mate, I really appreciate you speaking about that, and um, you know, I'm gonna probably do my best to. Uh, just take some deep breaths as well, but we bloody appreciate it, mate. <laughs> mm. It's bloody unreal because, yeah, I've got goosebumps thinking about it, but to be able to do that, to have the strength of character <laughs> and in the end, I think probably you'd say that that's just what you felt like you needed to do at that time. So media puzzle and Jason looking down on you, bloody unreal, mate. Um, 2002 goes by. Um, if we can breathe into the next part of your career, <laughs> mate, yep. because 2002, <clears throat> you're – you're 15 years into your professional racing career. What year are we now? 2024. You're not even halfway through. You, you sort of say your peak of your your powers there. Um, it's 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 not even halfway through your career. At around that time, if do, do you feel like you're gonna be a jockey for a long time? Like, is it you've you've been a jockey forever, mate? And you've and you've and you've done something that people don't do, which is working the same job for as, as long as you can remember. So do you feel like um, at that period of time, you're like, well, this is just going to keep going on forever? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably hard on my mum, you know, losing a husband and a son to mm. it. And, um, you know, people were probably questioning me if I was going to keep going. But um, it's a bit of a life style or a life – it's a life, you know. I mean, you do it from 15. It's kind of all you know. Um it's a, I mean, it's a great living as long as you stay on the horse. It's healthy. Um, you're fit. You know, it's um, it's an adrenaline rush. Um, you get well remunerated for for doing it. Yet, you know, you can make good money. So, mm. and it's a good lifestyle. You travel the world, meet a lot of great people. Um, so yeah, I mean, at that stage, I wasn't really thinking um, it was time to to give it away. I mean. It, I think it was a couple of years later after that, I had a bad fall myself. You broke your back. Yeah, pretty badly actually. Um, I fractured T3 and 4 vertebrae in between, kind of in between my shoulder blades and I was seriously really close to being paralysed. Um, right. Uh, you know, it was like someone hitting me in the middle of the back with a sledgehammer and I was in hospital and um, I was faced with a choice of 
having a spinal fusion or or leaving it, but the sta- the fractures were unstable, and um, so there was still a concern that I could be paralysed. Mm. Um, so the doctor recommended that I have a sp- spinal fusion. So I had a spinal fusion from T one to T six. I had six vertebrae fused. Really? Yeah. Um, and so that sort of, I had these two titanium rods sort of, you know, through six vertebrae and four screws put in. Shit. Um, so that was in there for 15 months, uh, sorry, for 12 months, had to stay in. I couldn't ride with it in there. Um, within a few months I was probably able to do most activities. Um, but I couldn't ride with it in there cause the main, one of the screws were kind of as long as your finger were, was resting up against the aorta, the main artery for my heart. Wow. So if I had another accident could have been fatal. So I had to wait to 12 months to get that removed. Um, when they took it back out, but my spine still remains fused. So I don't have much flexion in those six vertebrae. Right. So it's obviously a bit harder on my body to ride after that because hmm. you don't get as much, uh, flexion through your spine. And so it puts more load on your neck and your lower back as well. Right. Um, but yeah, like, and that was probably that when I did question whether I would ride again after that, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do it in that 12 months, I kind of. I looked at a lot of other different things, but nothing really appealed to me, to be honest, you know, I, I, and I thought it was just in my best interest to get back in the best shape that I could after I had the, the, the metal work re- removed and after doing some rehab again, and I thought, and I felt pretty good. I thought, well, the next stage is to get on the horse to see if I still want to do it, you know, and I, you know, nothing, I didn't really want to finish on those terms, you know, I was still mm. pretty young, still felt like I had a lot ahead of me. Um, I think a lot of people question whether I would come back or to the level that I was. Um, but yeah, I still feel like I had some unfinished business. Um, so I got going again, got back into it. And then actually only after six weeks after coming back, I had another fall and a really bad looking one. It wasn't as bad injury wise, but a horse had a heart attack on me mid race about 700 meters out and it took out 50 meters of running rail. It just went through the running rail and mind you, this time we had steel and aluminium rails. Now they have plastic because of that fall. And it looked horrendous. It looked like I was brown bread, you know. Wow. Um, but all that came out, it was a fractured hand. I still have a plate in my hand. And I had one of these scars on my face as I ripped my face open. And at that time, I'd, I'd done a couple of stints in Japan. And I'd secured a good horse for the, uh, for the Melbourne Cup from Japan. And I knew this horse was coming out. So it put me out for a month. I had had a plate in my hand and I came back a little bit early. Probably should have been six weeks, but I wanted to get back within a month and my hand was still swollen up. I was sort of battling a bit, but I wanted to get into it. So I knew I had this horse for the cup. And um, so, yeah, it happened in July, I reckon. So I was back in August. So I missed that month and sort of just wanted to get fit coming up to the cup. And um, this, I tell people many of this people this is good. much this story. It gets, it gets better. Um, leading up to that cup, cause I was under, under the pump a little bit, I got a nasty dose of hemorrhoids, wow. which is not great for a jockey. I can tell you, <laughs> no ways. um, when you've got these grapes growing out of your ass <laughs> and, um, so I'm under the pump a little bit, but I knew I had this horse for the cup and I rode it in the Caulfield cup and the grapes aren't getting much better. And, um, <laughs> the horse got around Caulfield, but just didn't handle the track around about fourth or fifth, but I've never been so confident going into Melbourne cup. I thought this horse just wins. Get into Flemington. He loved the big track. Um, we get to Flemington and he's starting one of the favourites and I'm just thinking he's going to win anyway. So there's so many layers to this story. There's a Japanese jockey riding the other horse. My horse called Pop Rock. 
Yeah. The other's called Delta Blues. It's 2006. Yes. Um, and the Japanese jockey got lost in the race before, just got completely butchered one. And then I said to me, can you have a word to this Japanese jockey through an interpreter because he couldn't speak a word of English? Just tell him, you know, how he should ride it, how the cup goes. I said, look, there's not much pace in this cup. We drew pretty close to each other. You go over and lead. I'll follow you over. We should get good runs up on the pace and we'll both get our chance to win. So anyway, we jump away. He jumps well, goes up near the lead. My horse misses a kick, so I'm back in the field, but wasn't panicking. I still thought I could win. Come around the turn, Delta Blues has kicked for home. I come out and I thought, I've just got to chase him down. I win, I'm chasing him down. I'm not quite catching him. I couldn't catch him. I just went down narrowly, you know, and it was frustrating. But, you know, I was one of the first jockeys to go to Japan and do some stints there and got them to come out. So it was, it felt like a triumph for me anyway, not winning the cup. I would love to have won it. But got beat, ran second, I raised his hand, he'd won. And, you know, it was kind of, it felt great um, to actually, even though we didn't win, run second. I think I was the most interviewed runner-up Melbourne Cup jockey in history because he was, he couldn't speak a word of English and everyone kept coming to me to, for, um, for the interview, yeah. And you were doing it all with hemorrhoids? Oh, yes. Yeah, it wasn't too comfortable. I wasn't bouncing to the trot too much, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh that is gosh. absolutely cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, mate, in 2008, so 2006, or 2008, you in, inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame. Was that a pretty special moment? It was. It felt weird, kind of young, still yeah. racing to have done it. You know, I mean, it was wonderful, don't get me wrong, and a huge acknowledgement, but I think it's probably something towards the end of your career or post-career that you, you um, acknowledge and, you know, more appreciative of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, 2000, not too long after that, they make the cut about what we spoke about. There's not too many around that have had movies made after them. I'm happy to, for you to speak about this sort of as you wish, but, um, how was that process? Was it, you know, did, did, did you, yeah, I guess I, I don't really know much about the, the movie industry. I don't know if you would have before you sort of dealt with that either, but there would have been an element of pride, I'm assuming around what, you know, the cup was about, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had, had a bit of a role behind the scenes as a technical director, you know, helping with the racing scene. So spent a few days with them recording the races. So that was that was pretty cool to do, you know. Um, I remember chatting with Stephen Curry about it. And, so um, he played you? Yes, he did, yeah. And he said, I can't wait for this movie to bloody end. I don't know how you lose the weight all the time. It was a never-ending <laughs> movie. He was struggling to with the diet and losing the weight all the time. So um, And as, a, as an actor... As a jockey, he made a pretty good actor. He couldn't ride very well, but <laughs> I had a good mate of mine was playing his stunt double, and um, uh, so that was pretty cool to have that, yeah. So that obviously riding real horses and – Well, he kind of just did the mounting guard, walking around the horse sort of stuff, but then the race stuff, um, a good mate of mine, former jockey, um, Matthew Allen, Max Allen, he he played me in the as a stunt double. Yeah. Unreal. Were you, were you in it at all? No. A cameo? No, just yeah. at the end they, they crossed to the – um, presentation of the, the real cup. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, have you, have you watched it? I have many times. It's, the strangest part for me was actually, I was watching on a plane one time and obviously it was still pretty emotional, but me sitting there watching, I was with my daughter flying back from Perth to Melbourne one time and, and watching everyone else, watching it in the plane and, and seeing them getting emotional. It was, that was quite <laughs> surreal actually. Yeah. Watching your life a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, especially you got that as something that'll last forever, that'll live beyond you, mate. Yeah, pretty cool. absolutely. Yep. Which I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's unreal. So that's 2011. 2012, bit of an interesting year for you. Uh, some controversy, 
um, a big band in the end. Yep. Do, do, I don't know how much you want to speak about that or insight to went went on, but it was you know that was certainly something in the middle of your career that that's a that's a big block of time you miss. See, yeah. Look, that was a regretful part of my career in life. Mm. Um, I didn't realise it at the time, but um, it stemmed when I when I traced back over it. Um, it went back to when I lost my brother. Um, you know, I started, uh, you know, losing that um, kind of big brother, father figure bit in your life. Um, it was was a gap that I was missing. And um, then I had the fall on top of that was broke my back. I was out for sort of 15 months and um, I lost my job with that, with the Freedman stable. They replaced me with another jockey. So it was kind of a... Uh, you know, things just mounting up on us sort of mm. thing. And, you know, I, I had a little bit of trouble with alcohol after that as well. You know, just, I was binge drinking a little bit, you know, I wasn't drinking all the time, but when I did, I'd, I'd do it too, too much. And it kind of put pressure on my family life, my relationship with my wife as well at the time. So it was just one thing building after another. And it wasn't till I, um, had that issue that I went back and dissected and, and worked out the trail events that sort of led up to that. And, um, you know, it, it was, was a life-changing experience because my family is really important to me. Um, and I realized, uh, that, you know, I had to, had to change my ways and, and own, own the mistake, which I did, you know, I put my hand up that I made, made a mistake. And, you know, with that, I had to build a lot of bridges, a lot of trust back within the industry. Um, but, you know, it was a, certainly a, a learning experience, a, a very valuable learning experience and, um, you know something while I regretted at the time, it's kind of made me a stronger and better person after it. So for those listening, I guess that don't <clears> know, there was a, it was a betting controversy. There was an amount placed on a rival horse. Um, you were then banned for a period of time. Um, looking through your journey and, and hearing you speak like that, which is, to be honest, mate, incredibly relatable, I, I would say, me personally, but people listening along, I think can definitely understand what you're speaking about there. Looking through your journey, though, moments of big success kind of follow on from hardship or adversity or tragedy. Or that there's been, um, you know, it's a roller coaster. It it hasn't been a um, linear upward curve from 16 years old or go back to the best and fairest and under 13. It hasn't been <laughs> yep. a you know straight line, has it? Like I know, but that's that's not just me. That's yes, that's, that's life for yes, people. You know. Yeah. I don't make excuses for that. Um, It is what it is. Um, Everyone makes mistakes. You know, the important thing is to learn from them. You know, no one goes through life just, you know, going rockets to the top. You're going to hit hurdles and make mistakes and have misfortune, you know, whether it's um, losing loved ones or making a mistake yourself. But the important thing is taking ownership of it and learning from them, you know. Um, And, you know, if you you can't do that, well, then you're not going to become a better person for it. You won the you won the Melbourne Cup the year after. Yeah, that that next that next year was that a given? You've taken and it sounds like you've taken ownership of sort of how that came about. Wouldn't have been other people's fault, but was that a you know proving people wrong or 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 proving something yourself that that year? No, not necessarily. I was I was very fortunate that someone like um, Gay Waterhouse um, saw something in me that I was determined to come back and and do well and and uh, make amends. And I got an opportunity to get on a horse like Fiorente. So, you know, I was very grateful and, um, you know, proud that I was able to, um, what's the word, uh, return repay, the faith, repay the repay faith, the faith mm. for someone that 
would would that backed me, you know. So yeah. and it, and it certainly, um, you know, because the ability was always there. You know, you don't you don't lose that. Um, sometimes you might lose the desire, or you might get sidetracked, or go off the rails at different points. You know, but as long as you've got the determination, the desire to succeed, um, and you've got good people around you to help you with that, um, you can you can get back to where you were. Gay Waterhouse was she was the first female trainer to uh, train a Melbourne Cup winner with you on the back of it. That, that's pretty special. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, Gay is an icon of the sport and yeah. has. Um, done so much for the sport of racing, you know, knocking down barriers, um, six incredibly successful, whether it's male or female. Um, and, um, you know, she's just been inducted well, she's in the, already in the hall of fame, but now a legend of the racing hall of fame. So, you know, it's pretty special to be uh, part of history with her winning her first Melbourne cup. What's that relationship like between trainers and jockeys? You know, it, you know, it's, it can be indifferent at times, you know, or every relationship is different, but it's really important to have good trust um, in the relationship um, on both sides. You know, you have trust in your trainer, the trainers have trust in the jockey. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, it's got to be, if it's strong, um, then there's more more chance of being successful. How much time are you spending, so for instance, in, with that Melbourne Cup winner, how much time are you spending with the horse? leading up that some vary you know sometimes you might ride them for the first time that horse i spent a lot of time in training with gay um so yeah i actually hadn't ridden that horse in a race prior to that race but done a lot of track work with the horse so i had a lot of faith in that horse that he could win the cup so then there must be like like the relationship with the horse then seems important but it doesn't it's not like you have to have had like months with this horse it's not essential but i think it's always an advantage if you've spent some time with the horse yeah like a connection, yeah. knowing knowing what triggers to pull, yeah, knowing absolutely. how it's feeling. Yep. Because that, that's one thing about the industry that <clears throat> I, I don't understand the, the feel that, that you as a jockey you must you must feel when the horse is on or off or or I can I can I can I can get it going a bit here. Like you you must be able to sense that. Like you can sense it, and I think with experience you can. I mean, you watch the replays of them as well, so you've got a little bit of um, you know intel there as well um but you're racing against them as well so a little bit of that um but it's i suppose it's a bit like you playing footy it's knowing the people around you as well knowing what their instincts are and what their strengths and weaknesses are as well you know what's it like when that when the horse goes like and properly goes what's that feeling like people wouldn't know what it's like yeah, what's it that, like? when nothing better than a horse that's got good acceleration and um you know yeah it's, it's a good feeling because because yep. effectively again Unless you're on a sort of a front runner that's that's leading the race, a lot of these horses you you're trying to hold them back to give it that 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 kick. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to conserve their energy and time their run. Yeah, yeah. So it's um it's quite tactical. Yeah. Do you ever play um this is probably more a question for you, Scott. You ever play that game at time zone with the horse <laughs> racing thing? Absolutely. <laughs> and like- I look like. <laughs> the machine is riding me rather than the <laughs> yeah. other way around. And it's got like, yeah. as you're doing it, like the carrots go down you're like, you're using too much of the energy and then you have to pull back. Did you, have you ever played that one? Yeah, well, I have, have played that the- actually. It's a bit of a term the jockeys use. You run out of carrots. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Are you any good at that? Is that, is that realistic? Um, well, it's probably close as you could simulate <laughs> on, a, on a mechanical horse kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's bloody good. Um, so, yeah, that's your third Melbourne Cup. Haven't been able to replicate it. Like I like I said, three in 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 over thirty years of racing. It, it must be those Melbourne Cups must be such a special thing. Do do other 
races rate right up there, Caulfield Cups, Cox Plate. Yeah, so. all of those. They're calling the majors as the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate, uh, Melbourne Cup and Golden Slipper. Which you've won them all. Yep. And um, the Everest is obviously up there now because it's a huge prize money race and it's growing growing a lot in um, in um, prestige as well. Did you win that? Didn't win that. I only had one ride in it, but it's only been going sort of a handful of years. Yeah, yes. it's in Sydney, so a little bit harder to win from Melbourne, yeah. This is um, going to show my lack of knowledge in, in this industry, but something like the Kentucky Derby, is that – could you jump in and race in that? Like how different is yeah, that? Yeah, pretty hard from Australia, obviously dirt racing, dirt horses, yeah, right. and there's not much of a connection between Melbourne and oh, – sorry, Australia and, and the US in, in racing. Mm. Did you ride much internationally through the journey? Yeah, heaps. Um, I spent a summer in Ireland and England in 2000, ridden a lot in Asia, Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, Mauritius, rode there a little bit. Um, where else? Uh, Dubai, um, New Zealand, um, France a little bit, South Africa. So, yeah, yeah, quite a bit around the world. Who does yeah. it best? Um, oh, they've all got their strengths and um, Australian racing's pretty cool. Hong Asian racing's big, Hong Kong and Japan, um, and the racing in Europe is pretty pretty strong as well. Who yeah. looks after the jockeys the best? Mm. Uh, they're pretty good in Asia, you know, Japan and Hong Kong. Um, I think Dubai's obviously um, pretty pretty good there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and pretty good here in Australia too. Where yeah. the money yep. is. Yeah. Mm. How, do, how do jockeys make money? You get 5% of the prize money and you get um, a riding fee, which is about 240 or $50. Right. Um, per ride. Right. Yeah. So you're severely uh, incentivized to yeah. ride well. Yep, absolutely. The better you do, the better you get paid. The, the, your living requires you to win. Everyone loves a winner, mate. <laughs> <laughs> In any any way of life, don't they? Yeah, correct. Yep. I don't know if you want to speak about it all, but there's, there's, there's um, you know, the industry, horse racing, It's it's got its critics. In, yep. In, in terms of... I don't know what it stands for, how it's operated. What, what, what do you say to that? You've been involved in it a long time. You've probably seen it more than most people. Yeah. How have you seen it evolve? And what are your thoughts? Look, let's. I'll get one thing straight. Horses, people in the industry that's involved, you know, trainers, jockeys, vets, anyone, breeders, they love their animals. They get really well treated. You know, better than some people, I would mm. say. You know, um, they're groomed, fed, watered, um, get the best of vet care all the time. Um, and I understand. Um, you know, people are getting more removed from horses. You know, back in the day, you know, everyone had a connection to racing or horses, whether it be um, someone knew someone that had a horse in the backyard in the stables. Um, it's getting further out from the metropolitan area in, in all cities of Australia. And, you know, I think we're, we're obviously a more woke society these days than, than what we were in the past. But racing has such a rich history in, in Australia and it's a, you know, it's part of the fabric of Australian people I and mean, it employs so many people, you know, I think it's the fourth biggest employer in the country. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's the betting side of that as well, but all that, you know, helps, helps a lot of the, uh, stimulate a lot of the country as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's such a big part of, of, of Australian way of life. You know, I'd be sad to see it, you know, deteriorate too far. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, who doesn't love a day out at the races? You know, it's not for everyone. I get that. And if people don't like it, well, then so be it. You know, I've got no, nothing against them. Yeah. Um, but there's such a big, generous, good side of racing um, that I think a lot of people don't see and don't understand and recognise. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's really well said. And, and as a jockey, you play a part, but it's a small part. You know, you guys are 
one thing. There's the horses, there's the trainers, there's the owners, there's the, the punters. Yep. There's the media. The breeders. Yeah. Yep. Like there's a lot of different people that come come into this, isn't there? Like, Absolutely. Yep. And as and as jockeys, like do you do you feel like sometimes you're you're the spokespeople somehow because of how involved you are? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. We're some some of the jockeys are more high profile than other parts of the industry, we understand. So um and you know, we all love the horses that we ride, you know. Um so without them we don't um, have a, a life or a lifestyle to, to lead what we do. So, you know, of course we, we love what we do. You're finishing up at the end of this year, mate. Have you had a favourite ride across the whole journey or is there a whole bunch of them? Oh, there's too many to say <laughs> one, single out one, but, yeah, a lot of good ones over the years. Everyone's yep. got their favourite, mate, though. So there's, no. there's always... Oh, not when you've been doing it for 36 years and <laughs> and uh, had that many winners, mate. It's hard to rate them. Yeah. <laughs> 3,168 winners. That's so crazy. That's just a lot mm. of success. Yeah, so a lot of rides. It's hard to pick one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah couple um, of, one, probably been across Australia a few times with the, yeah. the distance I've travelled, I reckon, right. on a horse. Freak looking all right. Yeah. What do you, um, this uh, probably sounds like a, a stupid question. Um, the horses, when they're racing, are they all trying to win? Like, I'm trying to get into the mind of a horse right now. Okay. Are well, they, yeah. are, are, they are they like, oh, I'm just out here like running as fast as I can or are they like, I'm going to beat you horse? Like, do you, do you think horses are like trying to beat each other or are they just out there having a good time? I'm not about having a good time, but they're competitive animals mm. and, and most of them, particularly when they're young, um, in the first two to three years of their racing career, um, yeah, they're generally trying pretty hard. Some of it's like anything, some are a bit lazier than others. Um, <laughs> And you've got to encourage them a little bit more. Um, and then as they get a bit older, you know, some might get a few more aches and pains like us and they're not as, not as good as what they were when they were a bit younger. So, you know, it, it, it changes, changes all the way through. To put a big bow on the whole thing, mate, how do you, how do you look back on your racing career? What's, what's, what, what really pulls at you? Oh, look, it's, I feel privileged and, and, and lucky that I've had such an incredible journey in my racing career. It's taken me around the world. It's given me a great life and lifestyle. Uh, met a lot of incredible people. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've lived a, um, a sporting life that, you know, most uh, and longevity that most people could only dream of. Yeah, there's been ups and downs, but that's, that's part of, part of the journey. And, um, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty fortunate. Yeah. Bloody cool. good, mate. I think, um, I said this on radio the other day, speaking to David Short, a good mate, and a good man, and and I said, I think in terms of Western Australian sport, I, I wouldn't have too many alongside of you as one of the greats of sport, mate. So congratulations on a great well career. Done. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it's, that. It's been a very good chat. Now you're not done just yet. <laughs> we are almost finished, but you've heard enough from Dan and I. We're on the home straight. Social media, not social media. Social media. This is from right. the people for the people for okay. you. Questions from our audience uh, that have come in over the last couple of days. Might add, there's some good ones in mm. here. So if you're ready for it, I don't. got a few more to finish off on. Uh, we didn't touch on this one, Harrison Huntley. Uh, what's your diet like as a jockey to keep your weight down? Okay, so I, to simplify mine, I call it the five and two. Like five days of the week, I'm um, pretty conscientious about my diet. A couple of days a week, I like to relax and live normal. But more high protein, low carb. Um, a lot of fruit and veg. Um, I try to have brown rice a couple of times a week. I think it's a good um, superfood and mm. good for your metabolism. And um, yeah, and sort of I'll, when I'm strict on it, that'll be brown rice and veggies and that'd be beef, 
chicken, fish, a lot of fish. When I'm, I always generally have fish the night before a race. It's pretty light and get something in my stomach. My morning racial, my morning ritual, sorry, is usually a, a cup of coffee and a um, piece of fruit toast just to get me going for the day. Yeah. And that's about yeah, all I'll have till I have a feed that night. You ever have like KFC or anything? Are you, do you, no, I might lash you out occasionally. I love a steak and, um, yeah, no, when I was younger, maybe, yeah, but probably not as I've got older. I don't have quite as much junk food, yeah. <laughs> is there any big weight cuts? I've spoken to a few UFC fighters across our little time doing this. Is there, are you walking around at, I don't know, 60 kilos and, and racing at 50? Or? Yeah, come, my, as my weight sits, I'd say around 57, give or take a kilo. Um, and then I'll try and ride around 55. You know, I can get down to 54 if I have to. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where I sit. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I mean, it's good you're not stripping too much back. Yeah. Uh, Taz underscore Kai. Uh, why didn't you pick the Perth Cup as your last race meeting? Oh, look, I, I just felt um, – I was actually thinking about retiring last winter. I nearly had enough there. I was sort of talked into going one more spring and, and finishing off in Perth, which I felt was good, um, get me to the towards the end of the year. Um, my body's sort of just been hanging in there, I must say, the last few months. Um, and um, I just felt – the Pinnacles Perth Carnival was good timing. I could have a holiday leading into Christmas and New Year's with my family and the Perth Cup's sort of just out on its own a little bit. Um, and then I, I start a new role next year with Ladbrokes, which I could get into that next year. Unreal. Very good. Um, Zach underscore bird. Uh, they ask, what's the background to the Ollie Raw? <laughs> um, what's the Ollie Raw? Yeah, yeah, so that's developed over sort of more recent years. I got found out during COVID with that actually because there was no crowds at the races and all they could hear through the microphones was me yelling at the horse. <laughs> and um, so horses are obviously animals and when you yell at them, you get a response and, um, you know, and the horse is probably running a little bit on empty towards the end of a race. You start roaring at them, you can get that last little bit out of them in a close finish. It can often mean right. the difference between winning and losing. And Like a lion's roar or you're just yelling words at it. Yeah, yeah yell whatever you like. Just, yeah. <laughs> Great. Have you ever? Have, have, do you feel like the roar's got something over the line? Oh, definitely. Guaranteed. Yeah. When the other jockeys hear me come and they know they're in trouble, don't worry. And a few others have started yelling too. Don't worry. <laughs> that's very good. I'm gonna have to find some footage of that, Nicholas. That's uh, that's unreal. Um, Benjamin Fox. Uh, if you could race one race all over again, what would it be? Oh, that's an interesting one. Good question, Ben. One race all over again. I'd never won a Doncaster um, in Sydney, a big race, the Doncaster in Sydney, big mile. It was one Casino Prince that should have won that race. That was probably one that just jumps out at me, yeah. No like, roar on that one? No, I just found traffic and I couldn't get out. And I just, I was going that well. I got sucked up into a gap that I probably shouldn't have gone. I should have waited and come to the outside and, yeah, he should have won. There are many yeah. occasions when you don't know if you've won or like those really close ones. Close yeah. ones. Do yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably 50-50 sometimes, you know. I'm always, I think if it's a really close one, I say, I think I've lost. So then if I win, I feel good, you know. <laughs> if you think you've won and you lose, then you feel shit, you know. Yeah. That's good. Uh, bushy. Uh, I can't. Oh, here we go. Uh, most winners in a day or a week? Five in a day many times. Um, and I got beaten on a, a pimple on another one that would have made it six. That was a Sandown Classic day. Um, and most in a week. Oh, I couldn't couldn't tell you that, but I've ridden five on lots of occasions, yeah, and many fours and threes and that sort of thing. By by race six, are you gassed or how do you, um, have, do you have fatigue? 
not, you do fatigue a little bit late in the day and there's a lot of night racing in Melbourne now. So you, you'll often ride, say, Friday night at Mooney Valley, you've got to back up on a Saturday. And, and as you would know, Scully, after a night game or whatever, you can't sleep that well because you're yeah. still half wide. So you don't get a lot of sleep and sleep's your most important thing, recovery. And then you've got to back up again the next day with probably you haven't been eating a lot anyway. So you can get a bit more fatigued backing up the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, good. Not James Lindy. Uh, what are you more nervous for, your first or your last ride? Hmm. Um, I probably, I mean, wouldn't say really nervous, but probably your first one because once you get going into the day, you're kind of, um, you're rolling into it and that kind of thing. So, yeah, probably the first, a little bit, if anything. Yep. B. Walsh Plumbing. Uh, who is the next Damien Oliver? Ooh. Oh, hard to say one, um, but, you know, I'm based in Melbourne, so I'll probably best to judge on the, Jockey's riding in Melbourne at the moment. Mark Zara and Damien Lane are going great. Blake Shin's going really good too. Jamie Carr, she's a young, she's a star as well. So, you know, and there's, there's many other jockeys there that probably aren't quite getting the opportunities, but got probably as much talent as well. But they're the probably ones that, that jump out at me at the moment. BPI 15. Uh, the one horse you didn't get to ride, but you wish you did. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm. Uh, I've probably got to put two in that. I reckon... In Australia, Australian horses would be Black Caviar and Winks, of course. Yeah, I thought it was a chance of getting on Winks one day. Huey Bowman got suspended. And I said, I rang Chris Wallace and said, oh, come up and ride it. And he was a bit worried about obviously breaking the relationship. And they actually didn't run it. They saved it for another race so Huey could get back. So, right. yeah, but um, they would have been two great ones to get on. Bloody oh, yeah. yeah, good. That's awesome. You just give them a quick call. Yeah. You know, fellas, I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm up to. Uh, last couple, Dubster. Uh, does the horse know if they win? Hmm. I don't know. Um, probably not. Um, they might get a few more carrots maybe. And that might, that might, um, jolt their memory. Yeah. Let's finish off on this one from the egg man. Uh, how does Damien like his eggs? How do I like my eggs? Yep. Oh, Jesus. Um, probably sunny side up, I would say. Yeah. On toast with a bit of bacon and tomato on the side on a Sunday. Right. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the story of Damon Oliver, mate. Incredibly insight. We appreciate um, you speaking all things through your journey, mate. And um, thank you very much for everything you've done for racing and being with us here today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on. That's Back Chat, brought to you by Fleet Network this year. Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bat, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras, Mama Digital. Any more sponsors want to add his name to the list? Hello, Back Chat Podcast. <laughs> oh, actually, here. can I add one more, please? Absolutely. Uh, Dennis McInerney. Uh, for looking after us with a car while I'm in Perth. You need a Ford, get out to Put Dennis, and um, he's a champion. Good old mate from a long time, and, um, yeah, if you need a nice Ford, he'll look after you. Very good, Dennis yeah, McInerney, one of the greats. <laughs> Been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy to add him to our list for this sponsorship run. Backchatpodcast.com.au to find all of the stuff there. Hang around patrons for one very last Damien Oliver story. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.